whether the concept of tithing applies to the giver or to the church as receiver. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. And this time we're going to look at tithing. This is something that I've really struggled with for a lot of my adult life. Because although I think that on the whole, we ought to be expected to contribute some sort of significant percentage of our gifts, but also our service and our prayers and our attendance, it's very tough for me to look back at any one period in my life and say, for certain, how far away from this notion of 10% I might have been, or in the cases of some churches, how far away from this notion of 20% I might have been. So first, what is the concept of tithing? It's really an Old Testament idea, but it's an Old Testament idea that has not really in any way been invalidated by what Jesus has said or what the apostles said. It's essentially taking the first fruit of the things that you've earned or the things you've been blessed with and giving them back to God. The idea is to take a portion of what every member makes and give it toward the church so the church can do more with the collective good than any one individual could on their own. I've been, for many years of my life, a member of the United Methodist Church, and I have seen this play out in a way that's absolutely true that any one congregation could, for one reason or another, be it an oil bust or an oil boom, fall on hard times or really outstandingly good and abundant times in parts of the country where oil and petroleum is, is a big key to industry. The same thing can be true of agriculture. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament tell stories about the uh, seventh year being a year of jubilee, or the idea in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis about storing up grain for seven years because there may be a seven-year drought to come. It's that concept. And in the Methodist Church, I've seen numerous occasions where a congregation or an area even, uh, could even be a very large part of a state or even several states, fall on enough economic hard times The denomination as a whole can step in and take care of things, can provide a cover. There's a fund to help pay for things like medical expenses of the clergy if there's a congregation that cannot cover those costs on their own, or for continuing education, or for missionary work. It's that idea of the collective resources of all being pulled together and used wisely, which is, of course, a question mark. That can do more good than any one individual passing of the hat might be able to accomplish. So, on the whole, this question we're facing in this particular episode is not whether tithing's a good idea. I'm going to grant that tithing's a good idea. But is the concept, the one of directing that giving toward a church, or is the concept toward the individual believer's responsibility to give? And it's not a hypothetical question for me. Over the past year, I've attended more than a dozen different churches, some repeatedly. Where should my giving go? Should I be 
withholding or placing some of that future giving in a kind of an escrow account of sorts to build it up? Should I have been obligated in some way to have continued giving to the church that I left and left for really good reasons? Where's the answer in all of these questions? And how do we come to a conclusion about it? Well, first, let me offer a perspective from clergy. A friend of mine who is a pastor shared an article written by the Reverend Gary Brin this week. The title of it was Secret Your Pastor Can't Share in a Sermon. And it was nine different things that I think really probably helpful. If uh, you go to the uh, Facebook page for Walk the Earth, this passage is linked there. You can go straight to the article. I want to focus on this show just on number two, though, the second point made in the article. And it goes like this, quoting Brin. Your offering is not a tip for a good sermon, nor are you paying for services rendered. Your stewardship, bringing your tithes and offerings to the community in which you worship, is a spiritual practice that comes right out of Scripture. The people Jesus taught and healed lived in grinding poverty. And then there were the taxes, enforced by a brutal occupation army. Remember Matthew, the tax collector, and all those centurions running around? They weren't there for a parade. Yes, Jesus still presumed the Hebrew practice of tithing. Failure to give appropriately is a spiritual problem. I know, and I'm praying for you. These are the words of the Reverend Gary Brin. Again, I don't want to you know, take on this question from the perspective of disagreeing with that pastor, because I think he's right. And one of the things that I think I drew the greatest ire about from the church that we left was, I kept repeatedly telling people, on more than one occasion, and sadly it was necessary on more than one occasion, to say that your offerings, your giving, your tithe, and we might have to put that in quotation marks, are not a referendum. They don't give you, you know, a certain amount of parliamentary vote on things. You don't get to get unhappy with the hymn that was sung on a particular Sunday, or what the youth group activities are going to be for the next couple of months, and withdraw your giving as a result. It's not like cable or satellite TV, where you're picking a package of things you like and paying just for those. And as all of us know who've bought television service lately, you don't even really get that kind of say with cable or, or satellite TV. We all have channels we never watch that we're paying for. It's just part of the way that television entertainment works. But the church is even further away from this idea of television entertainment. It's not an a la carte menu. You don't get to reward the pastor the secretary, the organist, and the choir director, who may or may not be drawing a salary for the things you like and withdraw your, your reward for them for the things you don't like. So in this respect, the pastor who wrote that online article is right on target. To me, the question is slightly different. If I grant for the sake of argument that tithing is a good idea and makes sense, why is it so difficult? And I think one of the problems that I've got is that most of us don't manage our money all that well. And I know because I'm one of those people. And so when you're at that stage in your life, when you're living paycheck to paycheck, you need to ask questions about, well, first off, what are the circumstances that are driving me to live paycheck to paycheck? Or if you don't necessarily have to live that way, but you are because you're saving for something. Well, what is the something for which you are saving? And at any one time, my wife will point out to me that, her paycheck, from a net perspective, is much smaller than mine because hers was primarily the vehicle that we were using 
to save the maximum amount possible for retirement through a 401k program, or to put money into kids' college saving funds, or to leverage some of the benefits of a flexible spending account for things like medical. So a lot of money was being drawn out of her account to cover these things, which I don't think are really all that optional. I think that in the United States today, anyway, these are things which, when available, ought to be leveraged. Somebody who has a 401k option and isn't using it is making a huge mistake. Someone who um, isn't taking full advantage of things like flexible spending accounts and savings accounts, kind of making a big mistake. I think that I would understand somebody who, were to, who would suggest that, you know, these children today, when they grow up, they should be paying their own way through school. They don't need a helping hand. They don't need a leg up. They don't need that fast start. And maybe it's the analogy that some people would use about the hermit crab, where if a parent helps a child too much getting that advanced education, they won't learn from the hard times. They won't know that experience of having had to work full-time, go to school full-time, and do all the necessary extracurricular activities like internships and, and other sorts of things, and that they'll be weaker as a result. There'll be some part of their, their experience that will be missing. There'll be some vital toughness that won't be there. But the challenge I would offer back to that is I think you need to take a good look back at what you paid for your advanced education. What did your college cost you, in my case, 20, 30 years ago, versus what it costs today? And I think that leaves behind a pretty good idea that maybe there is some wisdom. Maybe there is some morality in helping out that way by trying to get a child that you're responsible for, get that first leg up out the door. But these are among the things, the types of financial pressures, not to mention you know, just career uncertainty. I know that I'm growing up in an era where if I continue to work in places for more than a decade, and my resume when I'm ready to retire is going to look like I had three or four jobs at the most because I spent that much time committed to the organizations that I was serving, I'm going to look very strange. I won't look anywhere near like my grandparents who perhaps may have had one job for an entire career, short of needing to relocate from one part of the country to another. Back then, 50, 60 years ago, it was reasonable to think that you might align yourself with an organization and remain with that company forever. But that's certainly not true now. And my experience is, frankly, a little bit odd. I meet people all the time who comment on not just the longevity of my career, but of many people who work for me, that... You expect to see more job hopping today, which creates financial uncertainty, which creates a desire to be a little bit more in control of how every last dollar is spent. But again, this pastor is not wrong. The notion of giving to the church, and by this I mean the church universal, is a spiritual discipline, and that only very rarely could I see any justification for somebody refusing to give to a local church and I would suggest that refusing to give to a local church probably should be followed not by refusing to give at all for a period of time, but by finding a way to give around the issue. I could understand somebody in a non-denominational church where you don't have as much recourse in a situation where perhaps your pastor is doing things which really are clearly an ethical violation, wanting to not give to support that particular situation. It's different if you're part of a ecclesiastical structure, if you're part of a mainstream denomination where you can actually document what's happening and report it to somebody and have the issue dealt with 
as opposed to having to persuade a congregation or at least a board of elders to fire somebody and start over. You don't have quite as much recourse. I can understand wanting to divert your giving in that situation, but I'm using the word divert rather than withhold. Because most of the time that I've experienced people within a congregation withholding their giving, they weren't necessarily withholding their giving for reasons which would have even made sense to a bishop or an archbishop or a district superintendent. These weren't issues of significance. They were issues of preference. They were what C.S. Lewis would refer to as the wallpaper and the furnishings rather than the theological structures themselves. And for that reason, I tend to discount notions of people inside the church deciding that they're going to withhold their giving over some particular brouhaha. Of course, I'm making an assumption here, and I probably should have called it out right from the start. I'm assuming that I'm giving advice to myself, and therefore perhaps only speaking to listeners for whom that connection can be made. If you're not part of a church, then the question of tithing is you know, really not all that important. If you are part of a church, you've got your own decisions to make. But in my case, trying to do the greater good, trying to answer the Great Commission, being concerned about poor people, being concerned about disenfranchised people, and in particular, for me, being concerned about people who, the, who feel the church has slammed the doors in their faces. Tithing may be one way of establishing a way of reaching out that the church wouldn't otherwise have. In other words, the greater denomination, in the case of a mainstream Protestant church, might still have a ministry to do, even if one particular congregation has you know, lost its way or failed to do what it should be doing, in light of Jesus' command that we go and make disciples, and that we follow the guidelines that he set forth in parables, like the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. The churches who fail there may still be a part of some greater good, if members of the congregation are giving. Because again, the giving isn't just about paying for the building, paying for staff. It isn't even just about paying for programs. In many cases, that giving is part of a larger pool of money that is helping to fill certain needs all over the country and maybe all over the world, maybe within the the scope of a denomination, but even that's not true. Typically, one of the first groups that you'll find on the ground, so to speak, in places like Haiti after an earthquake or uh, other parts of the world after a tsunami or, or flooding is the United Methodist Council on Relief, UMCOR. This is a group that takes its money from the tithes and offerings of United Methodist congregations all over the world and has it available for their own emergency relief approach. And I don't suppose it's surprising that they might hit the ground faster than the federal government. It would surprise me if on occasion they hit the ground faster than the U.S. military. But even then, the U.S. military often needs the federal government to green light an intervention of sorts. So that kind of good happens even outside the walls of the church, outside the walls of the denomination, simply going in and providing emergency assistance where it's needed, regardless of who is on the needing side of that intervention. So the quick and easy answer to the question that's being begged here is, is tithing good? Yes, tithing is good. Now, let's assume that tithing is good, and that in my case, for the sake of argument, it's happening. I certainly don't think that's true in the last year or so. But even if technically that notion of one-tenth isn't true, the notion of giving certainly is. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, because 
I'm struggling a little bit with the idea of whether or not the tithe should be measured from the perspective of who receives it or from the perspective of who gives it. So if we look back at the article that was online this week, talks about your offering is not a tip for a good sermon, grant you, but notice how he ends his paragraph by saying that failing to give appropriately is a spiritual problem. And what this tells me is that failing to give appropriately is not about the receiver of those gifts. It's about the giver of those gifts. Now, this is very important because I have, over many years in many states, lived and you know worked closely with clergy. My family was always really connected with the youth ministers when I was a kid, and it wasn't at all unusual for us to make visits you know, across the state when a youth pastor would get promoted and become like an associate pastor or a, you know, the head pastor of a small church. We, at some point along the way, would go out and see them and see how they were doing, get a sense of what the community that they were serving now was like. And it probably wouldn't surprise me if I asked my parents, were we actually still continuing to give and to help out, to fill the need if there were questions or problems or concerns? Were my parents the kind of people who would pull out a checkbook and write a $100 check for somebody who was having a, a struggle making a transition from serving one congregation to another? And although I haven't asked that question, I'm fully convinced the answer is yes. To one degree or another, my wife and I have tried to function the same way. So we have seen firsthand kind of the impact of of what it means to be part of a church that has a giving problem. And therefore, the pastor of the pastor's family, the youth pastor, youth pastor's family, has reason to be concerned about their ability to pay their own bills. Uh, I've, I wouldn't be at all shocked if there's pastors in America today who do not know where the food is going to come for their family's meals. Maybe not tomorrow or the next day, but a week or two down the line. It's one of the problems of the state of Christianity today. If a large number of Christians have their hearts in the wrong place, and therefore a large number of people disassociate themselves because they prefer not to be around hateful people, and therefore the giving from people who have a good heart disappears, and the church in some small isolated community is depending entirely upon the giving of people who may not have their heart right with Jesus, you quickly get yourself into a place where you're quite vulnerable to what happens to the weekly giving if you upset that individual, and what does an individual church do if they're actually not making enough money through offerings and gifts and tithes to pay salaries. I've been in that situation with a church where there was actually an open question on more than a few weeks about whether or not the church was going to be in a position to cover an insurance payment or cover an electric bill. Uh, Did you put the salaries first? And if you did, was that going to put you at risk of not being able to cover some other part of essentially the uncontrollable expenses of an organization, things like utilities? So this is not a hypothetical problem I'm talking about. All the same, though, When I describe it in those terms, it sounds like the most important, the most significant thing about tithing is what it means to the receiver, to the church itself, and that any church might be able to look at any given member and say, no matter what that percentage is, we may agree that in the case of some families, it's 1% or 5% or 7%, but whatever the percentage is, the church may have an expectation about that amount of giving. But I think that concept flies in the face 
a little bit of the quote that we've just read. Failure to give appropriately is a spiritual problem. That means that's a problem for the giver. Now, that problem for the giver could certainly create a lot of problems for church staff and for the trustees boards and other sorts of, you know, the church itself in many ways. But really, when we're talking about the concept of giving, it really is about the individual. It's the giver and not the receiver. So for that reason, during this transition, this church search, I tried to maintain a couple of principles. One of them is that I believe that the perspective I need to have is one of net, not gross, income. This is controversial. I've talked with people within the church who have radically different perspectives on this, uh, one extreme to the other and not much in between. But I think that if a the notion of tithing, the notion of giving is a spiritual discipline, then you would expect that discipline to follow throughout the spiritual life of the individual, meaning that into retirement, you would expect that people would still be giving to the church. And if you're giving in retirement, then that piece that you're holding back for retirement should be reserved for that point in time. This is one of the differences between gross income and net income. It also isn't at all unusual for many people, those who've spent a lifetime in the church in particular, to include the church in their will, that some portion of their estate would go either to a denomination or to a local congregation or to a seminary school or something of that nature. Meaning that even after death, that piece of giving, that notion of tithing is still in effect. And again, it calls to mind the difference between gross income and net income, and that that gap between the two is simply deferred to later in life, or perhaps even after death, where the giving will still continue as a spiritual discipline all the way through that process. So I look at it from that perspective, cautiously, knowing that it's somewhat controversial, and thinking that this all really applies to the concept of net income. But the bigger question really is, what do you give, or how do you give, when you no longer have a church to give to. A couple of points that are worth noting. Now that we're past the point of tax season, in fact, probably all of us are by the time this show gets posted, that I've taken a look, and I know that the church that I gave more to than any other congregation in the previous calendar year is the church we left. Now, part of that is probably obvious. Having started the look, the search for another congregation in very late May, and really probably visited that first other church in the first part of June. It means that five of the 12 months I was a member of and a contributor to the church that we left behind. So just doing the math, they should have the biggest share, the largest piece of the pie, because I didn't attend another church anywhere near as many weeks as the one that we left behind. But the giving did stop at the end of May. The difference, though, for me is that we had accelerated our giving in the first half of the year. We weren't simply giving at a pace that reflected the pledge that we'd made either to ourselves or that we'd shared with the congregation. In this case, we weren't asked to share it in the previous year, so we didn't, we didn't put a number up. But we continued to give at the customary pace. But for a few months in the early part of the year, we'd really accelerated that giving. Because, as I mentioned, we were aware that this was one of those experiences we've had in our lifetime where going to a church that was really worried 
legitimately worried about whether it was going to be able to cover the bills at the end of each month. So we gave ahead to ensure that that would happen. And in fact, particularly earmarking certain funds that we gave to make sure that we were protecting the salaries so that the people who were leading the choir and the pastor himself did not have to worry about whether or not the church was going to end up defaulting in such a way that was going to raise questions about how they were going to feed their kids. So by making sure that didn't happen, we got to the, to call it the halfway point in the year, having given well more than what we normally would have for any halfway point of a year. But did that mean that the giving starting in the first part of June simply dried up completely? And the answer to that question is no. We visited a number of churches, and in many cases, in fact most cases, the churches that we visited we did contribute to. There's a couple of reasons for that. First, I believe in the spiritual discipline of giving. I knew that the church we'd left behind was no longer turning the resources we were providing to them into the good the good actions that I expected of the church. And I was hopeful that the churches we were visiting might do better. So it didn't make sense to not give to the churches that we were visiting. There's another factor, though, in that I was going to find out something come the end of the year about the churches that we visited and how good were they at stewardship. You see, stewardship is a two-way street. Part of it is what happens when you as an individual, either a member or in our case a guest at a church, what happens when you give? That's about you. That's good. But there's another aspect of stewardship. What does the church do with the resources they're given? Do they communicate appropriately, legally, in a timely manner? Do they keep you in the loop about the money that you've shared? Do you become roped into the communication about how the church resources are being used? Now, I don't think if you don't happen to be a member that you can expect to get that level of communication. But acknowledgement at the end of the calendar year when tax time comes around, it makes sense that you get an acknowledgement that you did give. And it was going to be an interesting thing to consider for me whether or not we got the communication we needed. And ironically, the last church to give us the information on what we'd given in the previous year was the church we gave the most to. In other words... The last church to give us the timely communication we needed about the level of giving we'd done toward church and charity was the church that we were still, and technically now are still, members of. To me, it was telling. And it provides, in some ways, a good justification, a good logic, for the fact that we were giving to other churches. It confirmed in my mind that we were giving resources to churches that were seemingly doing a better job as stewards of that money than the church that we'd left behind. Not that they failed completely. They squeaked in under the wire with the information that we needed, and it wasn't in any way different from what we'd expected or what we calculated on our own. But they left us in the lurch. They left us waiting. And that you know, may not have been a poor representation of the relationship as it ended. Left us in the lurch, left us wondering, and left us waiting. Unless anyone would think that this particular walk-the-earth question is too simple and too obvious. I'm about to muddy the waters. And I don't do so just for fun or just for sport. To me, it's a serious question. If I can give to more than a handful of churches during the course of a year and count that diversified giving spread across multiple denominations as whatever version of a tithe I'm offering, so if my target was 5%, if that gets me to 5%, and I've done what I set out to accomplish, 
And there's no way that any one church can come back and say, hey, I, I was expecting 10%. I was expecting at least 10% of the one-week salary for the one week you visited me. That would be completely inappropriate. The most important thing is that I was able to give in the manner that I felt spiritually led to do. And it didn't matter that it cut across a bunch of churches. Well, what if it doesn't have to cut across brick-and-mortar churches at all? What if more than just $100 or so of the money that I was giving was going in the direction of other ministries? What I might describe as virtual ministries. What if I'm aware of select bloggers or a podcaster who is actually engaging in their activity, not just as a religion and theology podcast, but well and truly as a ministry, is not giving to that pastor the same part of that combination of things I might call a tithe as giving to any one given local church. And if that seems a little bit too easy, because obviously if, if I can make a conscientious claim that that particular podcast or that particular website is a ministry, then of course giving to that ministry is the same thing as giving to these churches that we've visited along the way. But what happens if you make a donation at the 9-11 memorial? Even if you found the experience to be worshipful, is that experience there and a donation to help support the work being done there, is that ministry? And if it is, is it part of the tithe? And if it's not, then does that necessarily mean that it can't be part of the tithe? What about other aspects of charitable giving? Not a, not a rhetorical question. We live in a society today where we could be making some political decisions in the next few months or years that could create a situation where there are people who find themselves unable to feed themselves or unable to obtain medical care, medical coverage, and what if you diverted money that you would otherwise give to the church to give to ministries or even social activism to try to fill in the need there? What if you're feeding the hungry? What if you're caring for the homeless? What if you're putting shoes on children's feet or coats on the backs of the elderly? And what if you're doing that through a group that is not affiliated with the church because the church either doesn't have their act together and isn't acting as they should, or this other group is simply doing it either just as well or more efficiently, is that kind of outreach, what I would describe as a Christian as the uh, Matthew 25, the great judgment kind of outreach, thinking in terms of Jesus having described himself in that message, in that parable, as being the sick, the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the prisoner. We ought to be caring for ministries that reach out in those areas. And if there isn't something within the local congregation to do it, then it's right to target giving toward a denominational level. And if the denomination isn't doing it, it's right to seek out a ministry that would be described as more part of the church universal to do it. But what if the church itself is dropping the ball? Or what if the church itself is accurately and honestly recognized it's not equipped to do that? That it's not the American Heart Association or the American Cancer Society, and that the work that those people do falls, in one sense, outside the church, but in another sense, is well and truly what we would call charitable. It's emergency intervention in some cases. So if you, if you pick up the phone and give to the Red Cross at a point in time when a national disaster has happened, like very recently in the Philippines or a year or so, or a year or so ago in Japan, is giving in that way outside the realm 
of this thing called tithing. And if it is, what does that mean? How does it connect to the things Jesus taught? And if it's not outside the realm, if that is part of the tithe, then what would it mean to the local church if a lot of people increased their giving, but increased their giving in that other direction instead, toward the individual local church, was more or less in the same place that it was before? I think I'm going to answer this question, that the concept of tithing applies to the giver. And I think I'm going to answer the question that it's okay if the giver is giving more broadly than just to one individual congregation as part of that concept of tithing. We live in a much more complicated world than we used to. It used to be that you'd give your money to the local church. The local church would then give some of its money to the denomination. The denomination would have international organizations that it supported, and that's how you'd take care of the need. But we live in an internet age, so we don't necessarily have to wait for someone to tell us something happened, and we don't necessarily need an intermediary, even a good one like the church, or in some cases a bad one like the church, well, it depends on your church, to tell us what needs to be done. It is possible for individuals to reach into their proverbial checkbook and address a need immediately and directly. And I'm a firm believer, as anyone who's listened to inappropriate conversations would know, that the best type of missionary work is well and truly local. The closer you get to the source, the better you'll be. This is the time of year when I do some one-time giving. In fact, on the day I'm making this recording is a day that I've done some one-time giving to support things that I believe in, and I believe in very strongly. But I don't get confused about what parts of that are charitable and what parts of that are not. Now, in some ways... When you hit a donate button and you give to a cause, you're engaging in charitable giving no matter which way you look at it. But from this perspective, from the perspective of the spiritual gift of giving and what it means to quote-unquote tithe, I don't confuse the idea of giving to a science fiction podcast as being part of that number at all. It's not the same thing as giving to somebody who's raising money for cancer research or hospice care. It's not the same thing as giving to somebody who's actually preaching the gospel through their podcast and through their ministry. These are different ideas. But I think if I were to ask myself to do an accounting at the end of this year on what did I give and what part of it was ministry and what part of it was not ministry, how would I tally that up? The one thing I know for sure is that I wouldn't only count the checks that I wrote that I put in collection plates to give to and through churches. It's bigger than that. How much bigger than that is an open question. I know it's, uh, it risks going political to ask too many questions about what it means to consider the type of giving that goes toward organizations like the United Way, or more directly to places like the American Heart Association, or to uh, Alzheimer's research, or whatever. I just think it's important to note that if we're trying to take care of the sick, the homeless, the prisoner, the poor, because Jesus called us to do it, and that's the reason we're doing it, well, that's a spiritual discipline just as well as anything that might go to and through the church. And if it's appropriate for a group like UMCOR, for the United Methodist Council on Relief, to give money to people who are caught in the devastation of an earthquake or a hurricane, well, then it's certainly appropriate for me to give the money directly. 
There may be some wisdom in giving it through an organization like UMCOR, and there may be some wisdom in saying, no, I'm not going to do that. We have a policy in my family that cold calls that we receive to raise money for events, we just say no to them because it's very difficult and we don't necessarily have the time to vet out from an online conversation or a telephone conversation exactly where the, more, the money's going to go and what the organization is all about. It's too easy for people to look at the church as a group and say, well, I'm not going to give to them because I can't be sure what that church is going to do. But I think it's easier for me anyway to get to the bottom of what a church is going to do with its money than it is for me to get to the bottom of what the firefighters ball is raising money for and whether it's actually being raised by people who actually are firefighters. It sometimes feels bad to say no to groups that sound like they're legitimate and sound like their cause is good. But again, all true missionary work is local. I'd rather give it face-to-face in person. I'd rather know what I'm getting into when I do so. Now, from a Walk the Earth perspective, this ties back to a decision that we made a while ago when we visited one of the mega churches in our area. We've done this a couple times, in fact, but I had a stark contrast between a mega church visit one week and a church that didn't even have a building at this point in time the next week. And it just seemed kind of obvious to me that whatever I put in the collection plate at that mega church, 80% of it, at least 70% of it, and who knows, maybe more than 90% of it was going to go to fund the huge building the mortgage, the facilities, the salaries, the overhead of it all, as opposed to maybe giving to a group that was using its money in such a way that there was a frugality to it, that it freed resources to do things that were extremely targeted. The church that we visited last week had a fundraiser that they were doing with the local restaurant to raise money to create a backpack program to give children who are poor enough that in some ways the only hot meal they receive every week is the meals that they get at school. That school lunch is the big meal of the day. When I was growing up, the school lunch was one of the smaller, less significant meals of the day. But if you were living in a situation from a poverty perspective where you didn't really have much to eat at home, the gap between Friday afternoon and Monday morning could be huge. And this program raises money to support this charity that actually gives those children who have that kind of need um, food to take home with them so that they can eat during the weekend, that they don't have to go from Friday afternoon to Monday morning with nothing or virtually nothing to eat. The fundraiser with this restaurant was about the idea of saying, hey, for these hours, on what might otherwise be a slow day for the restaurant, half the money that comes in will go to uh, a check to this organization. So, A pretty direct loop from, we just went out to eat, which we might do anyway on a Monday night, and we're going to go out to eat with people in this church and get to know them better, and as a result of it, this charity is going to get money. That program was so successful that the charity ended up getting, what I'm told is $1,200. That will go a long way toward funding a direct answer for people who are poor and who are hungry. That's a good use of resources. It's a good use of resources that came because of the organizational abilities and in some ways maybe the credibility of this particular church and its denomination. To me, that's a good way to give. And even though I'm not counting it from a tax perspective, it wasn't a tax-deductible type donation. It wasn't a charitable gift. But in some ways, I feel like that meal, or half that meal, was an intentional, targeted act of giving. 
if we view giving as a spiritual discipline and we view the individual in their totality as being not just you know a body but a body and a spirit together then all of the activities which are intended to give back have to count somehow this may be upsetting to people that I've worked with in the past, or I've known from my childhood, who are part of the clergy, who would want the math to be much more simple, who would want the equation to be, you're giving X amount to the church, that X amount that goes to the church is funding lots of things, including my salary. Well, I'm sorry. I can't see it from that kind of a simple perspective. If what I'm called to do spiritually is bigger than the local church. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. King of kings and Lord of lords. We no longer think, God, in terms of being loyal subjects. And we fail to recognize things that are clearly taught in Scripture about everything we have being yours. Lord, it changes the perspective when we think in those terms. When we look at our life as a combination of blessings and givings. For us to not be too eager to count every penny, either coming into us or going out from us. So, Lord, forgive me if I have, in recent years, been one of those people who's been counting those pennies, either counting the cost or counting the blessings. Either way, Lord, it distracts me from my understanding and the understanding we all need to have that what we have is yours. Therefore, on some level, giving back to you is a silly concept. All the same, God, help me to further explore this question, to come to a conclusion on my own about what I should be doing in totality and what should count and what shouldn't and how I should measure it. And help me, Lord, above all, remember that as your subject, this is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about any member of a church staff. It's not necessarily even about the people who are the recipients of the benefits of charitable giving. Lord, it's all about you. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions.
the cloud. Next on Walk the Earth, whether membership must focus on a single church, as if fidelity is more to a congregation than to Christ. Thanks for listening.